Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us here at CIO Leadership Live. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, the Executive Director of CIO Programs for IDG, and I'm very pleased this afternoon to welcome my guest, who is Mike Skinner. He is the Corporate Executive Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Your Pack Service, Inc., which is a company he joined 26 years ago. Mike has served in a variety of leadership roles at YourPAC, including field operations, retail headquarters service, IT, and supply chain management. And he's been the CIO for 21 of those 26 years. The employee owners of YourPAC provide distribution and retail services for an estimated $2.5 billion collection of brands. These are brands that span the consumer packaged goods industry, across 600 client manufacturers of everything from performance nutrition and grocery and housewares and electronics, health and beauty products, home entertainment, and last but not least, spirits, beer, and wine. A graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy, Mike served in fighter and bomber operations, information management, and cyber warfare assignments in Washington, D.C. He retired from military service as a major general in 2013 and was awarded the Air Force Distinguished Service Medal for his 37 years in uniform. Along with serving on the boards of directors for YourPAC and Muscle Foods, Mike also serves on the advisory boards for our own CIO Executive Council and the American Fallen Soldiers Project. In 2017, he was inducted into our CIO Hall of Fame. Mike Skinner, welcome. It's great to have you here Thank today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Mary Fran. Excellent. Let's start out by talking a little bit more about your PAC. Tell us how it operates across those six different divisions and uh, do a little name dropping on some of the brands that you manage. Sure, absolutely. So your PAC founded in 1951. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, Mary Fran, the, the basic premise of the organization is factories are really good at manufacturing products and consumers want those products, but there's a lot of value steps in between that somebody has to, to care for. Mm -hmm. And our clients are those factories, the brand owners, that require services, everything from marketing to distribution to experiential marketing, um, warehousing. So we, we offer all those steps in the value chain. And we have six different divisions because the way that product goes to market for, let's say, appliances is greatly different than the way it would for performance nutrition or for um, alcohol beverage. Mm -hmm. So that's why we have the several different divisions all to carry out that same premise for the factories that are our clients. Some of the factories that you'd, rec uh, you'd recognize are L'Oreal um, mm -hmm. from cosmetics, uh, Whirlpool from appliances, um, Budweiser, Jim mm -hmm. Beam, uh, mm -hmm. Disney, Microsoft, companies like that. Great. Well, and I know the newest business to join those other divisions um, is the nutrition business and the performance nutrition, which you got into about eight years ago. That has been that's right. That's been quite a success. It's been great, a great success. And the, 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 the great part of that story is for 40 years, a, a pillar of our organization has been pre-recorded entertainment. It was mm -hmm. vinyl records, then eight tracks, CDs, DVDs, right on down the line. Mm -hmm. And we, we could see that, you know, the world was changing and that by 2020, that would not be a large part of our organization anymore. Right. So in 2011, we looked at those core competencies of warehousing, distribution, um, that, that size product, that value of product. And we asked ourselves, what can we do with these core competencies in the emerging market? Mm -hmm. And we made a commitment to get into the performance nutrition business. So we did. We made that commitment in 2011, and uh, here we are in 2019, 
Our organization is called Muscle Foods USA. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you can count it as one of the top two or three uh, distributors of performance nutrition. So we're an aggregator uh, where we bring in product from many uh, manufacturers and aggregate it into shipments that we send to to retail. Yes. Well, and mm-hmm. I know we're going to get much more deeply into how you manage the IT for all of these various businesses. But before we do that, I wanted to talk a little bit about your own CIO background and the sort of uh, what prepared you for the role that you have done so ably over the last 21 years. Uh, it's an interesting path. I wasn't an IT guy. My, right. my uh, academics were economics and management. But from a military academy, you're all basically engineering students mm-hmm. if you go to one of the military academies. And while I was serving in our Air Force, I was um, I flew as a like, operational test pilot. Mm-hmm. So we would take um, computer software that had been engineered for the F-111 fighter bomber. Mm-hmm. And we were the first crews to go out and fly that to see if the airplane responded the way it was supposed to. Yeah. So that was my first exposure to being closely involved in delivering IT capabilities to mm-hmm. a user group. And from there, um, when I joined this organization, transitioned to the Air Force Reserve, joined this organization, your PAC. Um, at first, I served in marketing and sales. But in 1997, when we decided, you know, we, we really should have a CIO, mm-hmm. uh, and we had the thought that we'd like our CIO to come from our ranks, someone who understands our business. Yes. Uh, we looked at the experiences I had, and, and that's where it started. Mm-hmm. Well, and your PAC and the military have always had a close relationship, right? A lot of your products are actually sold in uh, Absolute, in yeah. or near military bases. That's where we were founded. We were founded, our uh, founder, John Becker, after mm-hmm. World War II, was in Paris. France and decided he liked Paris, France. He wanted to stay there. So he started a uh-huh. business of uh, bringing U.S. made products over to be sold in all the, the uh, BXs on the military bases that were settling into out of combat operations into, right. into the bases in Germany. So that's where we started. And today it's about half of our business is yeah. still to the military resale business. Okay, excellent. Now, I know one of the things we've talked about this many times over the years, and one of the things you're very passionate about is, are the leadership qualities you need at the C-level. Maybe not just CIO, but CFO and COO, all the Cs, essentially. And for you, the CIO role, has it has never seemed like it's just about technology management. Absolutely. Uh, that's an area um, I'm very passionate, and, and I'm grateful that your organization allows us to carry that that message forward, Mary Fran, that, mm-hmm. you know, if you're at the sea level, um, some some individuals who get that opportunity feel that they're working to become a member of the executive ranks. But by all means, if you are the CIO, you you are you are a C-level, you're a corporate officer, you have responsibilities that go far beyond just the technology in, in the organization. I would say mm-hmm. in my 20, 21 years, I'd imagine I spend a third of my time looking internally and delivering technology. So, so the, the, the core of the job is about a third, mm-hmm. about a third of the time um, with my head out of technology, understanding the business of our business, mm-hmm. and a good third of the time um, with my my thoughts and and time is spent outside of our organization, either in our industry or our um, adjacent industries, understanding them and where they create value. Mm-hmm. Because that, that I'm a big believer that if you're at the C level, 
that's what you need to do to yep. help stimulate the growth of your company and, and the industry in which you serve. How do you think CIOs across other industries can make themselves more valuable to their companies? Actually, you said something about a CIO's duty is to make their industry more valuable in the economy itself, which is a, a very big vision for the CIO role. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take it from, let's say an individual is a newly appointed yeah. CIO. Mm -hmm. I think step one is to um, table stakes. To be a CIO is you have to deliver you have to deliver the technology internally to your organization. That's the table stakes. You build trust. And then uh, step two, in my opinion, is to gain an understanding in the trust one by one with your peers. Mm -hmm. Because the advances you're going to make in the, in the organization, few, if any, in most organizations, are going to be just about technology. It's going to be technology applied to one of the operations led by one of your peers. Mm -hmm. So get get the table stakes right, deliver the technology, protect the company, protect the technology, and then understand the business and help those business leaders flourish and grow their contributions, their organization's contributions to the corporation. Mm -hmm. And then I would consider that CIO mature as far as serving in the corporation. And with those, with those two things accomplished, then a CIO has the opportunity to go out and work uh, up and down the value chain. <clears throat> Most of us can can envision ourselves sitting in a value chain where mm -hmm. there's people north of us, people downstream of us, and understand those adjacencies and what's valuable to them. And working with them, that's when you get the chance to, to reinvent the industry, work with the lawmakers to help the lawmakers understand how their decisions affect the health and the future of the industries. Yeah. Well, and you spend, do you still spend a chunk of your time in Washington with lobbying organizations? Um, and go there. We go there two times, two times a year, not mm -hmm. really as lobbyists, but uh, we go there in forums where we meet with uh, the relevant staffers or the relevant members, the, you know, the elected officials, mm -hmm. policymakers and the executive branch um, to help them, um, uh, and they, they are genuinely thirsty to understand. They, they know they have a responsibility to help an industry flourish yes. within, within our nation. And this is not about um, um, affecting competition. They, part of that healthy nourishment of an industry is you want it to be competitive. Mm -hmm. But they also depend on members of that industry to help them understand what do we do to help you move forward and 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 keep that industry competitive in our in our yeah. nation. So the opportunity's there, and I, it's mm -hmm. been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure for me in my 21 years. I'd say 12 or 13 years. I've mm -hmm. been in a position where I've been able to do that as well as serve within the company. Yeah. Do you think that CIOs need yeah. to stay a certain amount of time in a role before they can get to that stature? Because I often find this with CIOs that have served more than 10 or 15 years with one company. They're almost always very embedded in the senior leadership team. It, it seems <laughs> like it has more to do with building that trust among the executives. I think it's about building trust among the executives, like any other job, learning the job, learning the company, mm -hmm. learning the industry. Uh, how long it takes, um, I, it, it really depends, I think, on the complexity of the job and the individual. Mm -hmm. you know, if you're the CIO of, of uh, um, a, a vast, you know, a vast organization, you might approach it different than if you're at a mid-cap corporation. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's float up to the 30,000 foot view with your 
I guess with your history as a pilot, you know, this won't be a problem. And talk about disruption in your industry and the changing customer expectations. And then we'll kind of segue into how technology has been responding to that. And your industry is essentially at at the 30,000 foot view, it's retail distribution. Yes? Yes, it is. Okay. And I, um, so when you say customer, if you don't, I'll start with consumer. Okay, the you're right. The consumer really drive the shopper and the consumer drive the yeah. drive the boat. I tend to industry. use those uh, interchangeably, and I really shouldn't because a B two B company will consider a customer to be another company rather than an end consumer. That's so. For us, the yeah. shoppers and the consumers, uh, the disruptions there. We all live it. Um, mm-hmm. Different forms, different ways to get product more quickly. Have have vast stock assortments at your at your disposal online, and what it what what that has done to disrupt our industry is it's created the need, it's created the opportunity that organizations that that understand it and turn um, what we call brick and mortar shopping, where the where the mm-hmm. shopper still goes to a store, that has to be an experience. If if an individual is going to a store just to get the product and there's not nothing fun about it, there's not an experience. Um, that's the business that's leaving brick and mortar. But if there's a reason to go to brick and mortar that you just can't get by simply ordering the product, mm-hmm. those are areas where where we're working to insert disruption to, well, in, in some ways make the disruption and in some ways ride the wave that it is changing and that's where we can create value. Give me an example of how you do that. Uh, a great example would be experiential marketing mm-hmm. where um, if, if an individual... Uh, um, is uh, shopping for, let's say they go into a, a store that offers a portfolio of products that includes alcohol beverages. Mm-hmm. Experiential marketing is when we offer demo, you know, demonstrations of the products, tastings, but it goes b- beyond just here, taste the product. It involves getting a sense for the legacy of the brand, building a rapport with that demonstrator, mm-hmm. that experiential marketing um, individual, and they get a dialogue going. They have a rapport going so that in subsequent, they'll, they'll know when future experiential marketing events will take place, and that's that's a driver to bring them back into the store. Okay, good. Thank you. And one of the things that you mentioned when we talked earlier was that you felt that, especially in your industry, but probably across many other industries, that organizations need to invest in being fluent in all the forms of e-commerce. So absolutely, tell me absolutely. how you do that. And when you say that, what do you mean? Um, I Coming from an industry that uses a lot of EDI to mm-hmm. send information That's back right. and forth, um, I'll probably get knee-deep in this, so stop me if, if you need to. But <laughs> EDI is a brilliant form of commerce that has its roots at least 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I equate it to the railroads, where it, it's not s- simple to create the lines of communication. It's mm-hmm. not simple to rail, lay a railroad. But once those lines of communication are set, the amount of information that can be moved mm-hmm. is massive. Mm-hmm. And we're experts at that. We need to be experts at that. Many companies do need to be experts at it. But the the uh, the leading edge, uh, use the analogies of... Um, FedEx or UPS mm-hmm. or um, Uber Eats, other ways to deliver information. The same thing goes with B2B commerce and the data that makes industry move on yes. the wet edge. EDI is in the back. EDI is there. It's necessary. 
but all the other forms of communication, API, APIs uh, is just one example, so that rapid sharing of information can take place at the pace that the ultimate consumer is looking for. Mm -hmm. The uh, One of the other things you mentioned when we were talking about disruption in your industry uh, were the importance of, well, you mentioned e-commerce, of course, and then you talked about transparency and supply chain visibility. How How is that changing today? What needs to be transparent now that didn't need to be that way three to five years ago? Uh, I can almost turn that question around and say, what what can be tolerated to not be transparent on, on a supply chain where, where a product is Mm-hmm. as it goes through the value chain there's it's an exception to not know where product is with great granularity That's and true. and that transparency being able to see that some of it is for um reasons so individuals can make decisions about the next step in the value chain other is um people are just they want to know where the product is hey we shipped that we shipped that two days ago is it on the shelf yet so the transparency is an expectation Mm -hmm. to to uh to our partners up and down the value chain okay um Let's talk a little bit about some of your top technology initiatives. Uh, I know you've been a, um, a multiple winner of the CIO 100 Innovation Awards over the years, most recently for your retail insights uh, product. product. Um, tell me about what you're doing in the data realm, the things that are really advancing the business that are helping all of your employee stakeholders do their jobs better. Uh, love to. For, for us, um, this, this organization is made up of two things. It's made up of relationships with the factories and the talent, our employee owners. Mm-hmm. And we, we, our largest expense is the time that individuals spend at retail. So anything we can do to make that time more valuable mm-hmm. is accretive to our, the value of our organization, our strategic position, and our profit. Okay. And that's that's where we apply data. We, we work at it um, continually. We have mm-hmm. for 20 years. The edge that we're on right now is the way that we use um, that transparency in the supply chain globally. We have we have people working um, at retail in 19 nations, mm-hmm. helping them understand um, when they'll be able to have an effect at retail. Maybe it's that experiential marketing. Maybe it's uh, building a display. Maybe it's they're um, anticipating having a celebrity in to do a celebrity appearance with a particular brand, mm-hmm. making sure that they have the information that they need on where the product is so the product and the event happen at the same time. Okay. That's, that's something that the, the consumer sees. Something the consumer doesn't see but is equally important is the way that we use data to help those same people in the field take care of what we call the block and tackle. Okay. Is the product on? Is the is the regular product on the shelf? Where are your problems? If we have a uh, individual walk into one of our larger stores, there's eight thousand products in that store they're responsible for, mm-hmm. and they don't have the time to walk around and figure out which of these eight thousand products has a problem. So we use the data from supply chains, from um, uh, cash register activity. We use all that data to help them understand. Hey, when you walk into that store and you've got eight thousand products you're responsible for, look at these twelve first. Because the data and the business rules tell us that if you got a problem, that's probably where the problem mm-hmm. is. And you've been able to do that for a number of years now, but it's gotten much more finely grained 
Would that be correct yes. over the last year or two? Because I think that's what yeah. the Retail Insights product was about. Yeah, it's getting more granular mm -hmm. and also affiliating it with um, the market basket to help to help them in, in the larger stores with the larger brands to help them understand things like um, if we have a brand that offers a, um, a portfolio of products mm -hmm. and understanding, say, when we sell this product, which is very valuable to us, the, the thing that we would consider um, least um, least beneficial that's in that same market basket is a competitive product X. Mm -hmm. So when you're working with your shopper and they buy that product from you, realize the thing that they're most likely to buy that you don't want them to buy is this. So mm -hmm. offer our, our, our alternatives. And that can be door by door. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not one blanket instruction to the right. 19 nations. It's store by store. What, wow. what is different about your store? Yeah. Well, and one of the other things that's always struck me about your pack when we've talked about how you operate is how tightly embedded and ingrained IT is within all those divisions. Because you usually end up talking about your, your product leaders and your product managers, and they may be business people or IT people, kind of depending. How does that, how does that structure work? Tell, tell me a little bit more about how you organize IT to deliver that kind of service. The bottom line is I'm blessed, Mary Fran. We've got terrific um, project leaders across all the, all the divisions, all the functional areas. Um, they, they take it to heart that for them to succeed at their business, there's an IT aspect to, to their, their success. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, they understand that if they want to move things, you know, move things in a new direction, IT can't bestow upon them the answers to their business. We have to work together and understand where is their business thriving, where are the mm -hmm. where are the pain points, where can we help them, and it starts there working with you know where are the pain points, but then as uh, I'll go back over my 21 years, it started almost exclusively with helping with where are the pain points and it's evolved fully now to the point where when we hire digital natives um, it's terrific when I have a digital native um, come visit with me and they have a, a new idea a fresh idea for how we can do business within their within their aspect of our organization mm -hmm. so so to your point about how is it structured um, I would I would say to, to put it into conventional terms we operate as a federation mm -hmm. where things that are IT um, Utilities like email, we do it once corporately. We all use it the same way. Yep. And then when things are really distinctive and they build that competency within one of those seven divisions, that's where it's county option. And that division can choose. They probably put 80%. In most cases, it's about 80% of their IT spend is on the, that 20% of IT that really makes them distinctive. Okay. And and that federation construct and, and the, uh, the user group has served us very well. Okay. When you also mentioned that what has changed in IT is the number the number of aspects that you can centralize now and how that's growing and uh, talk a little bit about how you're using software as a service and cloud. Sure. The uh, um, first thing you have to set aside is your 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 ego or your philosophy that it's best if we build it here. <laughs> you know, if you, if you stand back and look, back, look at it over IT. time yeah. mm -hmm. and, and having been in a, a CIO for, for um, a number of years, I can do that. I can look and see where um, the, the offerings available um, as software as a service 
continue to grow. So I'll use that 80% again. That 80% of the things that our organization needs to be a, a competent corporation, mm-hmm. those are most of those are available online. We don't have to invent that. And the, the better decisions we can make using those, those commercially available solutions, it allows us to save our time and our resources to for the sharp point where we are different. Mm-hmm. And, and the, things, the things that are available now that um, we, we have really reached the point where there's a middle ground now. There's utilities that we certainly buy software as a service. Mm-hmm. There are uh, core competencies that don't require us to build the technology. It's how we combine commercially available technology. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there is still a, a, a sharp edge where for certain things to be, to be who we are, we, yeah. we build it at home. Yeah. I had uh, one CIO tell me recently that he was just so tired of kind of fed up with questions about innovation. He said he's more focused in his organization on ingenuity and using IT and, you know, the various capabilities and services they have to put together essentially common components that everybody has in a special way to serve that particular company. And I, I, I thought that was pretty clever, ingenuity. I agree, yeah. I agree wholeheartedly in that uh, well-intentioned uh Individuals can feel like they're accomplishing something for the organization if they acquire, if they buy something, maybe they buy hardware and it's tangible or they buy software and there's absolutely a need to do that, but it doesn't create value until it's applied. Yeah. So that, that should be an early question for any CIO um, is, are we using the tools we have well? Yes. And then if, if we're using those tools well and our, our, processes or our knowledge has outgrown those tools, mm-hmm. we talk about new tools. Yeah. I know. And sometimes we should be talking about revamping and revisiting the processes before we talk about new tools. Oh, absolutely. And that's yeah. where the that's where the uh, the nice thing about a process change is it's uh, close to instantaneous. You know, and, and mm. we we use that as a group quite a bit that if it's a process change, literally we can say, hey, when we stand up from this table, the process has changed. We're, mm-hmm. we're going to do it different now. Whatever it is, we're going to do it differently. Yeah. Uh, process change, uh, almost instantaneous. And then when it gets into the IT spectrum, configuration changes are pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Custom software, not so fast. You know, right. big hardware installations. Those things take more time. But process, you can turn on a dime mm-hmm. with process. The uh, When you and I were talking about innovation uh, earlier, uh, you said to ask you about scan-based trading, which is something you do on a global basis and is a very good example of innovation from your pack. Yep. Uh, scan-based trading is a form of consignment where mm-hmm. consignment is an individual who wants to sell something. Uh, they put it into a store. The store doesn't own the product. The, 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 the mm-hmm. original owner still mm-hmm. owns it until it sells. And we have applied that philosophy in an innovative fashion again globally if if you think about it 19 mm-hmm. nations we've got uh, um, uh, this the store count is in the uh, 1500 store um, range mm-hmm. in 19 nations where there's product out there that we're res- we own it it's our yes it's our responsibility and the uh, the retailers uh, they enjoy that because they don't own the product until it's sold so the innovation was taking a uh, decades-old philosophy of consignment 
and flipping it and applying it to a global supply chain so that that retailer, uh, they didn't have to apply their cash to it. They don't have the risk mm -hmm. of, um, of, of inventory until the consumer's already decided they're going to buy that product. What, what kind of changes or approaches did that require from you on the technology side? Uh, we went from, now we have, uh, we have uh, six warehouses around the nation that manage um, performance nutrition products. Mm -hmm. So we went from having six inventories that were our inventories that we had to account for to each one of these, each one of these retail locations, mm -hmm. um, in a sense, is an, a warehouse unto itself. So we have to have the, the protocols in place to inventory, to audit um, 1,200 warehouses, uh, you know, 1,200 mini warehouses yeah. that are all fueled by these six larger warehouses. Mm -hmm. Well, and it, it, it's not surprising that we always end up talking a lot about data. When I talk with CIOs today, I've noticed that the, um, through the CIO 100 program and the Innovation Awards each year, well more than half of them now are circling around different ways to deal with data or to make data more valuable or draw insights out of it. Um, let's talk a little bit about the emerging tech trends that are having the biggest impact in your industry. We'll be right back to talking about data, um, but that's uh, one of the things you mentioned was machine learning and AI. How, how is that making a difference? What do you watch about those trends? AI is uh, very important to us in, in two areas. In supply mm -hmm. chain, when we're, when we're estimating, um, well, demand forecasting into the future. With these global supply chains, uh, there's folks in where I am today, there's folks in this building making supply chain decisions on product now that we don't expect the consumer to consume until middle of July. Mm -hmm. So how, using using the data to help them get a sense for uh, what the demand will be, what 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 are the sensitivities that will influence that demand, it's um, critical to us. Mm -hmm. and and every we're thirsty to learn as the science advances. We want to be right there with the science. Yeah. Well, and speaking of data science, you've done a bit of developing your own in-house data science programs. So uh, tell me more about that, about growing growing your own. Yeah, I've heard you refer to them as both data scientists, and then some people are data wranglers. And they're yeah, different. We, that sounds very Texas, too. We have, uh, we have a division, Information Services, that mm -hmm. services all of the uh, – all of the um, operating companies, and Mary Fran, that's where the the cadre of most uh, most advanced, highest trained data analysts, data wranglers, um, the uh, the folks that help us with database management, mm -hmm. they're in information services. Okay. And the philosophy of our corporation is they're like the leading edge, and what they're doing today, it's our goal for the corporation that with those those people are doing today will be commonplace among our 60 business managers that manage this portfolio of clients that will be commonplace for them two years from now mm -hmm. so they're the, they're out there on the leading edge uh, understanding the art of the possible and bringing it into the corporation and bringing it in in a fashion from what is possible to what is practical and what is profitable and then and then that's what we apply to the divisions mm -hmm. And you've also, you have worked with local universities on both the data science education, but also some supply chain elements and certifications and things. Tell me more about that. 
We do. We, uh, we're fortunate to be in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Uh, University of um, Dallas has this terrific supply chain program. We've worked with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, TCU has a great business business school. So really the academics we've been involved in involves um, our management serving on the um, advisory committees mm-hmm. of some of these universities or schools within the university. And it just gives you a perspective on what, what the academic edge is for these different um, sciences. Mm-hmm. And it also gives you a sense for what the talent pool is. Mm. And on other occasions, we've had professors come to us. I think one of my favorites was um, statistics, where we asked a, uh, a college professor to come in and spend time with that cadre that I referred to yeah. and just take it from the top. We all talk about averages and means and standard deviations and all these things. But mm-hmm. when was the last time you really had to understand what does that mean? Well, how, how does that apply to your business? Yeah. And it, it's it's been a terrific experience. Yeah. Well, see, that's I was going to chime in there and say that I'm still convinced that there's no practical use for algebra. But <laughs> but but that is that is speaking as a journalism and a French major. So <laughs> um, the um, one of the things that uh, we were uh, also we we touched on but didn't really get into it uh, a little bit more was cybersecurity because anytime you're talking about data and uh, especially a lot of customer and consumer data you have to you have to give a nod toward the importance of the security around all of that so what is your approach to cybersecurity and how is it changed or escalated or accelerated in recent years as there's there have been so many data breaches and that's a great question and it's a great mm-hmm. question for any new CIO to mm-hmm. anticipate when they get questions from their CEO or from their board or from their peers they're probably going to start with cybersecurity because the because there have been events there's a lot of media behind it yeah and that I consider that one of the table stakes to to have cybersecurity in place. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, a few of the tenants that have worked well for me, Mary Fran, along the years is number one, um, stratification. If you take mm. the resources that you have available for cybersecurity and try to apply it to your entire enclave the same way, it probably won't serve you as well as if you say, like in my case, I estimate. of our data Mm -hmm. is data that if if it's um, damaged or somebody gets a hold of it, it's not not materially damaging to the company. The other half of a percent, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. I need to protect that because because of uh, responsibilities beyond CIO as a corporate officer. This is the stuff Mm -hmm. we have to protect. So I'm a big proponent of stratifying how how you protect the data, how you authorize access to the data. Mm -hmm. Um, That's huge. And the other the other point that uh, a new CIO might might miss is not giving enough attention to how you're going to recognize and recover from an incident. Yeah, because you're going to have an incident. Mm and, and you can get in a conversation with somebody who's well-intentioned and they, they want to understand that you're 100% safe. You're not right. 100% safe. You're, there's there's, there's going to be an incident. And that's really, to me, the most important part is what are you going to do when something bad happens? Yeah. And how, how are you going to, how are you going to recognize it early, um, arrest it, and then recover from it? What sort of things have you done to 
increase that comfort level with your sea levels? Because you will. You'll have those one or two board members that, you know, would probably like a guarantee that they're never going to die. You know, I mean, they're going to ask you for the impossible. So uh, a lot of different CIOs I've talked to have different approaches and strategies on how they get those comfort levels up. Um, In some ways, it's an unfair question because you've been there 26 years and they know you and they understand you. But think about it from a new CIO point of view, too, and the kind of advice that you would give. Um, From a new CIO, I'd say um, be the one to bring up the topic, bring it up every board meeting, spend time on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, 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 the things that we do to help not just bring comfort to myself and my peers, but genuinely, I, I think I think it's valuable. It's accretive to our security is have an outside red hat, whatever oh, organization right. you want to. We happen to use an organization called Sensei mm-hmm. in Northern Virginia, and when we have a security plan in place, they're the ones that um, they're they're the ones that critique it and yeah. give us a sense is that plan appropriate for for what we're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. uh user training is is huge i was just about uh, to ask just, about that yeah just not the user training on the the uh, how to use the technology but organizations like know before where you can help people um experience what it's like to be fished and help them learn to not be affected by that yeah um yeah. user training is is uh, uh a big part of it Mm-hmm. And then, and then contingencies and understand understanding where your backups are and how you're going to recover when that bad thing happens. Yes, the one of the um, uh, technologies that we talked about when we were uh, dabbling around with emerging tech and that sort of thing was blockchain. Because I had thought with your industry that blockchain might be an obvious next step or even have something underway, but it's still something you're mainly watching at this point. Uh, we're watching it very closely, mm-hmm. and I, I I believe blockchain will find its place in our in our economy, in our industries. Uh, just speak, if I put on my Air, House, Air Force hat for a while, the ability to watch the pedigree mm-hmm. of an aircraft engine part to understand... Yeah who worked on it, where it's been, who's touched it. Blockchain allows um, those responsible for that aircraft engine part to understand the, le- the, the pedigree or the legacy of that part. Mm-hmm. And where will it propagate and come into the industry where I serve? Um, I think that as far as things that people ingest or they apply to their body, uh, prescription drugs, mm-hmm. I can see blockchain um, definitely having a role there. And then when it gets into um, um, some other products that that performance nutrition could could someday mm-hmm. be, be affected by it. But right now, the products we sell, um, it's 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 not affecting the products we sell yet um, right. that, that people ingest. It could be on the hardware side. We're involved in this this the sale of computer uh, computer hardware mm-hmm. to 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 the consumer group and the blockchain of say, is that, is that really the laptop that left, left the factory two months ago? Yeah, it's the same, you know, to be able to use blockchain in that respect might be where we see it first. So I think we'll see it, but it won't be leading edge for us. Right. Well, and I expect, I'm I'm sure that you're right on the pharmaceutical. I just had a conversation with a CIO last week um, of a big um, auction house, and he just used a blockchain program that he bought from a, a third party vendor to trace some artwork that was sold in a particular, and it actually came in as a request 
from the extremely wealthy buyers of that art. They were mm -hmm. a younger generation, extremely wealthy. The 1% we're always hearing about, the people who buy most of the art at this kind of level. And they came to this auction house and wanted a blockchain trace on everything. I can see. I, I'm, I'm not into that level of art, but I am into yeah. automobiles. And uh, I, I, I have friends that are into some of the higher end automobiles. And yeah. I, I can see the culture embracing it to understand that every every nut on this bolt, every nut and bolt in this car is the nut and bolt that's mm -hmm. supposed to be there. And I could see as people get more and more concerned about sourcing their food and food purity and certain types of even vegetables or fish and all that sort of thing. In fact, I think some of the fishing industry companies are starting to make use of blockchain. Um, so it really, it's a very interesting area to watch. I feel like right now we're only seeing a few little spurts of it, but five years from now, we'll look back and see this as kind of the beginning when it started to accelerate. I, I think so. And mm -hmm. it could bring efficiencies to things like uh, now where uh, the factories that make consumer products that you you eat, they they understand um, the, the, the lots of raw material that came in. And if there's a problem with that lot of raw material, they have to know which end products might have drawn from that that railroad car full of mm -hmm. wheat or whatever whatever yeah. is suspect. Yeah. Yeah. So so the the, uh, the 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 desire is there, and this will be an enabler. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the questions I always ask CIOs is whether they do any field trips to Silicon Valley especially when we're talking about innovation, it seems to have become something of a ritual for some companies. They'll take a group of their executives and they'll troop out and they'll spend a week meeting with people. Uh, you, don't, you don't visit Silicon Valley. It's not on your agenda of stuff to do. Why is that? Um, we, we take field trips, and I'll mm -hmm. tell you about those in a second, but, but where we are in the industry of consumer packaged goods, the pr preponderance of the value we create Mm -hmm. it, 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 we're not we're not building rocket ships and we're not creating new new forms of uh, heart lung machines or something like that. That we are it's contemporary, but it tends to be um, technologies that are combined mm -hmm. is, is the, the center of the bell curve for us. And we we invest a lot, but our Silicon Valley Valley would be come into forums like the CIO that's mm -hmm. that that's the that's where we get the insight that emanated from Silicon Valley is is events like yours but then we spend a lot of time at industry events because that's where we get to work with people up and down the value chain yeah. and understand yeah. if uh, if our adjacencies if they've inserted a new technology uh, upstream from us that opens up a possibility for us mm -hmm. we spend we we have um, we're immersed in several venues that help us stay stay apprised of the progress of our industries. Yes. Well, and I, I'm, a, of course, I'm hugely biased on this, but I do think that when CIOs get together with each other across various industries, just the, the, those hallway conversations, they they set off a light bulb in your head. Uh, they a, do. Yeah. They yeah. Had, I had a professor from UCLA once said this years ago to me that creativity comes from conversation. And I, that's probably my life motto. I think that that's so true. I think you find that there's industries that um, are on the edge of a particular technology, and it makes sense for them to invent it or mm -hmm. to make it commonplace. And then once it is, an adjacent industry can look at it, you know, a CIO can observe that and say, well, now that it's 
now that it's invented or now that it's normalized, yeah, I can apply it to my industry. Mm-hmm. But it would not that particular technology might not have been a good one for us to 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 be the icebreaker. But yeah, we'll use it now that it's out there. Yes, exactly. Well, let's we'll wrap up our conversation today uh, talking about some of your lessons learned as a CIO and all the experience you've had and all the connection and contact you've had throughout not just your industry, but dozens of others as well. What are some of the what are some of the big lessons that stuck out that stick out in your head? Things you wish you had known earlier, for instance? Um, I think we've already touched on it, but I think if somebody gets the opportunity <clears throat> to be a CIO, mm-hmm. have a have a thoughtful, fulsome conversation with the people that you're going to be working with yeah. so that you all have the, the same expectation of what that means. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that a future CIO gets the opportunity to genuinely serve with the CEO, with the CFO, with the with operating company presidents. And you are a full member of the uh, of of the leadership team of that corporation. Yeah. So so have that straight before you step into the job. Mm-hmm. And then once you're in the job, lessons learned would be, don't try to change the world uh, all on your own right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're not going to do it by yourself. Most of the success, all of the success, comes from people around you, not not from your own individual efforts. So mm-hmm. so work hard on learning about the talent around you and help put them in a position where they can succeed. And it's never done me wrong. It's always served me well. Well, and uh, and I know just uh, from many of our conversations over the years that you have always, you start early on leadership development for people around you. Uh, talk a little bit about where that philosophy comes from and how that, in a practical sense, how do you do that? How do you find the time to develop new leaders coming up behind you? Uh, I probably come in my case, it probably comes from going to a military academy where you get exposed to leadership techniques Mm -hmm. early. And it's always something you're thinking about is how do you how do you help the next generation prepare? Mm -hmm. And and it's if you spend a reasonable amount of time on the topic of leadership and developing the next level of leaders, really, I found that if you if, if 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 an individual is willing to put in the time to learn about that next step, and the corporation makes resources of, available to them. Maybe it's training, maybe it's some time, maybe it's some tuition, but it's 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 shared. Mm-hmm. Where the uh, the individual brings the time, the the company brings the opportunity, and and then you'll you'll know. Yeah, okay. some people will embrace it and move forward. Others will say, you know, I I, I like doing the job I'm doing right now, and I got a taste of that other job, and it's it's not my passion. All but right. you, you find out early. Okay, and then uh, one last final. We got a question in over Twitter from one of our one of our faithful watchers as we are live streaming onto Twitter, and the question is, how do you approach digital transformation? It's a very big question, but do wow. you, yeah, I know. Do you have a particular or maybe advice about how to kind of get your head around digital transformation? Um, if I to, to summarize, my advice would be to to take it in bite-sized chunks Mm -hmm. and one user group at a time understand what their business they know their business better than you do so Mm -hmm. work to help work to learn about their business and then help them apply it to their area one area at a time it's Mm -hmm. not something where um 
I, I don't think you can come in and, and just decree that we're going to transform digitally. Right. You have to do it. In, you have to do it in bite-sized chunks. Yes. Well, and it sounds like you also have to do it by starting from the customer experience and then working back. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It is, as always, it's been delightful speaking with you. And if you are just joining us, if you've joined us a little bit late, you can watch the full episode today, later today on CIO.com, or you can listen to audio podcasts of our conversation wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope you will join us for our next episode, which will be on Monday, March 11th at 11 a.m. Eastern, when I'll be joined by Mike Rossello, who is the Senior VP and Chief Information Officer at Alliance Data Card. And please also sign up and subscribe to our new YouTube channel, IDG Tech Talk, where you can find all the previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live, plus some other wonderful videos and conversations we're having here at IDG. Thanks so much for being with us today, and I hope you'll join us again next time.